Karen Gomio, welcome to Sunday Night at the TSO. Thanks so much for having me. The TSO is very much looking forward to having you back, and it's been quite a time since you were last at Roy Thompson Hall, I guess three years ago. What did you get up to during the pandemic? What has your musical life been like? Yeah, it's true. I think I was with you guys in November, uh, just before you know things went south. Musically, it was it was an interesting time because I think probably for all of us it was a time of, of really deep reflections, and I feel like that kind of reflected in what one did with music. And for me, the time of re- reflection also meant just time off and time just to do nothing and kind of let the thoughts come. In terms of my relationship with the violin, I ended up going back to basics, really taking that time to kind of not start over, but but like sort of reevaluate, you know, where I am right now, where I was right, uh, right at that moment with the violin, but also reflecting really deeply on what music is for, you know, why we do this. In the process of improving uh, or trying to improve, there's so much critic, like negative self-talk that goes on, at least, you know, that was my experience and it was for most of my friends, you know, being able to put everything into perspective and, and really looking at music as something so much greater than our experience in the practice room, let's say, of, of you know, just telling yourself, this is not good enough, this is not good enough, but the result and the result and the power of music and just how much we needed as human beings and the power of live music to be able to sense the energy from the sound that's happening around you as opposed to over the computer screen. So I think, you know, there were a lot of negatives during the pandemic, obviously, but I think on the bright side, there were, at least for me, um, a lot of kind of reawakenings or a lot of positive outcomes on the personal level. That's great to hear. I wanted to ask you actually a bit about your heritage as a violinist. You were born in Japan, you moved to Montreal very young, uh, and that's where you began violin. How did that start for you? Um, I feel like music was something that was meant to be. Uh, My mother herself, being a non-musician, she really loved jazz piano. And she thought, well, if Karen loves music, well, perhaps she should learn the piano. But then she thought it's a large instrument, so it's probably the most expensive (laughs) instrument. Right around that time, she brought me to a concert of violinist Midori, who who was 14 at the time, and she was there with the Montreal Symphony. And, you know, I was, I don't know, four or five years old or something and, and, and watched this performance and was just completely blown away by everything about it. Her concentration, the beauty of the music, it was Mendelssohn Concerto. And I thought, wow, I want to do what she's doing. And my mother said, oh, it's a small instrument. Great. Let's let's go for it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Little did she know. Exactly. (laughs) Violins. We'll get to your violin in a second. But speaking of Midori, uh, little did you know at that time you would end up studying with the same teacher as her. And I wanted to bring up your studies with Dorothy DeLay at Juilliard. Dorothy DeLay, for our listeners, was really the virtuoso teacher of the virtuosos. Midori studied with her Kyungwa Chung, Sarah Chang, Angel Dubo, Gil Shaham, and and you, Karen Gomio. What, What was studying with Dorothy DeLay like? It's something that I still think about. I, I really miss Miss Delay. She passed when I was about 19 um, at a time which, you know, for me personally, it was a critical point when I was starting to have a lot of questions as a, as a lost teenager, let's say. I mean, not lost, but, you know, as one who's developing more and more of a sense of a self. Um, so I studied with her from the age of 11 until she passed, basically. Looking back, I really feel that 
she was so much more than just a violin teacher. She wasn't teaching you to play the violin. I mean, she did that, sure, you know, to, to an extent, but I didn't speak English when I first went to her. I think just the, the change of environment coming from Montreal, where people are friendly, to New York, where everything's fast paced. Then, you know, for me, I had to learn a new language and Juilliard itself was really intimidating for me. And so I think Miss Delay saw what was happening to me at that point. And she wanted to really try to safely bring me out of my shell. And so her approach to me may not have been her approach to other students, but my experience with her is that looking back, she was very strategic without letting me know that there was kind of a plan to, to get me to own myself a little bit more, not to be as, as shy and terrified as I was. And with the understanding that all of this would translate into your music making. And so for me, I just really regard her as, um, as this incredible human being that was connecting to the, the person that I was at that age. Whatever I did with the violin was sort of a byproduct of my development as, as a young person. That's amazing. That's amazing. No wonder she was a phenomenal teacher. So well, I guess you were really her last protege in a way, or one of her last. Right. In the sense that, yeah, I did stay with her until her last moments. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Wow. What an amazing legacy to be part of. Speaking of legacies, I want to bring this back to your violin. So you have in your hot little hands a Stradivarius <laughs> violin. Tell us about it. So I've been in a really privileged position to be given the use of Stradivarius for the last uh, 20 years, actually. What is it that makes Stradivarius and, and their like so sought after and uh, so satisfying to play? Well, it's ultimately about what inspires you. Not everybody will be inspired by a Stradivarius. And when you say a Stradivarius, I mean, he made hundreds of instruments. So with the example of, my, of the two that I've been playing already, they're so different. Um, and I connect differently to, to each of them. And when you do connect with one that is, you know, let's say known to be objectively um, amazing, <laughs> there, is, there is a complexity um, in its character, in its sound. Um, a great strad will be just full of overtones and resonance and tonal colors. There is just something about, I don't know, age and wisdom, I find, as well, that something that was made 300 years ago will have gone through a lot. I think with a strad, you've got a soul. Now, coming to Toronto with the TSO, you're going to be performing Mozart. Now, I tend to think of the Mozart concertos as kind of being in their own realm, you know, as opposed to the big, you know, epic, romantic era concertos, the Tchaikovsky, Brahms, and all of that. Uh, how would you describe the Mozart concerto number three that you're going to be playing? Mozart's music is really the epitome of, of harmony, I find. You know, it's it's so simple, and yet it's got all the emotions that we feel as a human being. There's nothing that's there for show. It never feels like in Mozart there are too many notes. They're exactly the right amount of notes to express, you know, a certain expression, a certain feeling. I mean, this is what I love about performing Mozart is that it really, really feels that you are, that, that every line matters, every voice matters. Yeah. Well, we very much look forward to your performances. And thank you so much for taking time to speak with me. Thank you so much.